Hey, this is Pastor Arm, and I want to thank you for joining me today for the Activation Church podcast. We are here so that people can activate their life in Christ, and I believe this message is going to help you go further than ever before. Check it out. If you have your Bible, turn it to Judges, the 16th chapter. Today, we're starting a brand new series called Riddle Me This, the cautionary tale of Samson. The cautionary tale of Samson. Last week I told you there's no such thing as a bad example. If you have wisdom, you can learn from those who have good habits and you can learn from those that have bad habits. Hello? You can look at someone else's mistakes and you can learn from those mistakes so that you don't have to go down their path. That's what we're going to be dealing with throughout this month in this series on the cautionary tale of Samson. If you're familiar with the Bible, then you'll see a pattern throughout Scripture where God will deliver his people. He'll save them in in amazing ways. He'll do incredible things. I mean, think about watching the Red Sea split so that you can walk over on dry land. How many of you would say that's a pretty big God thing? God would do that kind of stuff over and over again for his people. Yet they would turn their back on him and they would start going after other gods. And because of their disobedience, it opened them up for the attack of foreign nations to come in and wreak havoc on them, to terrorize them. And over time, the people of God would cry out to God, and in his mercy, God would hear and respond, and he would raise up a deliverer. And so these deliverers, before we get kings in Israel, these deliverers were called judges. And that's who Samson was. Samson was a man called by God to be a judge of Israel. And if you read through his story, which I would encourage you to do that, read through his story, you'll see some incredible things that Samson accomplishes. But he also makes some terrible decisions. He had great power, but he also had some great weaknesses in his life. Samson was supposed to judge the Philistines. But in the midst of judging the enemy, he starts to date them and he even falls in love with them. The reason we're calling this series Riddle Me This is because there's a time in Samson's life where he's attacked by a lion and he rips the lion apart with his bare hands. Think about it. that's not just strength, that is supernatural strength. He tears a a lion, y'all. He tears a lion apart with his bare hands. And then a few days later, when he's walking back by that same area, he notices the carcass of this lion, and bees had made honey in the carcass of the lion. So Samson thought, hey, I'm hungry. So he scooped out some of the honey, ate some for himself, took it to his family, fed his family the the lion carcass honey. And then he tells the Philistines a riddle. So get this, he goes to the enemy and he says, I'm going to tell you a riddle. And he says this riddle in Judges 14. You don't have to turn there, just stay in 16. But in 14.14, he says, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. That's the riddle he's giving the enemies. And he tells them, if you can solve this riddle within seven days, 
I will give you 30 changes of clothes. But if you can't, you're going to owe me 30 changes of clothes. Well, these guys are racking their brain. They have no idea what this riddle is all about. And so they decide to go to Samson's fiance, the woman he's about to marry, and they tell her, if you don't find out what this riddle is, we're going to kill you and your entire family. And so this woman, being fearful for her life, starts pressing. The Bible says she pressed Samson hard. She was begging him to get this riddle out of him. Once he tells her, she goes straight to the enemy, tells the enemy what the riddle is, and now Samson is stuck owing this debt of 30 clothes. And really, it all started with the bad decision of him getting into a relationship with someone he should have never been in a relationship before because she was a Philistine. He was a Hebrew. They should have never been together in the first place. Here's the thing I want you to see. Samson had incredible strength. He did incredible things, but he had terrible patterns. And ultimately, the decisions he made and the choices he made and the people he allowed into his life destroyed his life. And so when we go to Judges 16, we're going to be looking at probably one of the most famous relationships that Samson had with a woman. Do you all know her name? Delilah. And let me just say right off the bat, Delilah must have been something special. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, when I read through this story in Judges 16, pay attention to the details and you'll see that this woman must have been some kind of bad. And I'm talking about bad in the good way. She was bad to the bone. Let's look at this. Judges 16, starting in verse 1. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute and went into her. I'm not going to take time to explain that, but, <laughs> but, but you get the gist. Samson went to the red light district. He said, how much? And the story progresses first. You know, the Bible is really interesting when you read it the right way. If you're not intrigued by the stories in Scripture, you are reading them wrong. Samson goes to the red light district. He finds a prostitute. They make a deal. Verse 2, the Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night saying, let us wait till the light of the morning. Then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight. And at midnight, he rose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. Verse 4, after he does this, he loved a woman <laughs> in the valley of Sorek, whose name was what? Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, seduce him. See, we, we've seen it work before with the riddle. Samson wasn't going to tell us this riddle, but we went to his woman. And Samson says there, hey, you wouldn't have figured out this riddle had you not been plowing with my heifer. That's what he says. He says, you know this because you were plowing with my heifer. And so they know, hey, all we got to do is plow with this heifer. And we're going to get some results. And so they go to Delilah and they say, seduce him. 
and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Tell me how to defeat you. Tell me how to destroy you. And Samson said to her, well, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber. And she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire, so the secret of his strength was not known. She, he did not tell her the truth the first time. Verse 10, then Delilah said to Samson, behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Can't believe it, Samson. I thought you loved me. We had tacos earlier. <laughs> but you've mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. I don't know why she sounds that way. but. <laughs> and he said to her, if they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson, and the men lying in ambush were in the inner chamber, and he snapped the ropes of his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pen, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept... Are y'all catching on yet? <laughs> so while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web. And she made them tight with the pin and said to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web. And she said to him, how can you say I love you? When your heart is not with me, you have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words, day and day after day, and urged him, his soul was vexed. She wore him out. And he told her all his heart and said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her, and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees. That's going to be week two. Whose lap are you laying in? You don't want to miss next week. Whose lap are you laying in? She made him sleep on her knees. 
And she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. See, the secret of Samson's strength was the Lord. Get this, it had nothing to do with his physique or how often he went to the gym. His strength came from the Lord. And he wakes up and he thinks, I'm going to shake myself just like every other time. And God's going to respond. The Spirit's going to come upon me and I'm going to have victory. But this time when he shakes himself, nothing happened because the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. Samson became a workhorse for his enemy. Samson became entertainment for his enemy. They would bring him out so that everybody could stand around and make fun of him. And really the moral of this story is if you play with fire, you're going to get burned. Eventually, if you continue playing with fire, you are going to get burned. In Greek mythology, there's a story about a war between Greece and Troy. And this war had gone on for like 10 years. And so finally, Greece comes up with this plan of building a wooden horse. And they say, what we'll do is we'll build this gigantic wooden horse, we'll deliver it to the gate of Troy, and then we'll get on a boat and we'll leave. And so they do it. They deliver this wooden horse, and then they get on a boat, and they retreat. And so when Troy sees it, they think, okay, the enemy is leaving and they're giving us a peace offering. And so Troy, once they see that Greece is gone, they open up the gates and they roll this wooden horse in. What they did not know is there were men inside the horse. And so as soon as the gates were shut and locked and everyone went to sleep, the men who were in the horse got out, opened the gates of the city, and the guys who they thought had left came in, and Greece took the city with the enemy that Troy let in. Think about that. Troy was defeated by what they allowed in. Samson was incredible. I mean, Samson killed a thousand men at one time with the jawbone of a donkey. Samson seemed unbeatable, but he was taken out by one woman that he let in. See, it's not the enemy that surrounds us that we really have to worry about. It's the one we invite in that gets us. It's not the temptations that surround us. We're all tempted in many different ways. Every day we are bombarded by things that are trying to entice us. That's not what we've got to worry about. What we've got to worry about are the temptations that we invite in. Samson was destroyed by what he invited into his life. Today I want to talk to you from the subject of dealing with Delilah. 
How do we deal with the temptations in our life? We all have them. If you've never been tempted, then you don't have a, a beat going on in your chest. If you say you've never been tempted to sin and you've never followed that temptation, you, my friend, are what the Bible would call a liar. And there is no truth in you. We've all been tempted. And temptation is something that we all have to deal with on a daily basis. As long as we walk around in this vehicle of flesh, we will have something that tempts us. The question is, how do we deal with these temptations in a way that we can overcome them? Because how many of you know we do have power over them? I want to say it again. We do have power over the things that are trying to destroy our life. The first thing in dealing with Delilah is this. We have to learn how to avoid Delilah. Turn to the person next to you and say, just avoid her. You got to learn to stay away from Delilah. Samson had no business messing with Delilah in the first place. She was a Philistine woman. He's a Hebrew, which means they serve different gods. Their lives are already going in two different directions. She is a part of the tribe that is his enemy. He is raised to destroy her and her family, yet he gets in this love thing with her, and she starts questioning him about his weakness. That should have been a red flag right there. That should have been a blinking red light. Hey, I'm here to destroy you. I'm here to get you. I'm here to take you out. I mean, think about this. It wasn't just one time. Multiple times she's questioning him about his weakness, and she's putting it to the test. Think about that. That's why I say she must have been some kind of bad because he kept on falling into the trap. But that's the problem with temptation. Temptation looks so good that many times we ignore the consequences of it. It can tell us, hey, this is going to cost you. This is going to destroy your life. This is going to damage your marriage. But it looks so good, we keep on going back. And we have to learn how to avoid what tempts us. Every person in here has something different that tempts them. Did you know that? Like, for instance, what tempts me may not tempt you. You may think, well, that's no big deal. But you've got something that tempts you. You already know what it is. And so what we need to do is we need to learn how to avoid it and set healthy boundaries. The Bible says, give no opportunity to the devil. What does that mean? Give him no place to wreak havoc. I remember uh, an old church sign. Anybody remember when they used to put clever little sayings on church signs? I always thought they were funny, and we would snap a picture of it and text it around. But there was one that said, give the devil an inch, and he'll become your ruler. <laughs> you can't give him a place to come in. Are you following? You cannot give him a place to come into your life. Did you know that Satan has no power over you other than the power you allow him to have? You have to give him permission and access to come in. How do we do that? By entertaining the temptation he throws our way. Think about Adam and Eve. If you go all the way back to the very beginning of time, Adam and Eve live in this perfect environment. I mean, they're running around naked, y'all, eating fruit. I mean, this is like a good life. 
Satan shows up and he starts getting them to look at the fruit. He has no ability, Bob, to shove the fruit down their throat. He cannot force them to eat the fruit. All he can do is get them to look at it. But the more they looked at it, the more they desired it. The more they desired it, the more they wanted it. The more they wanted it, the more they wanted to touch it. The more they wanted to touch it, the more they wanted to taste it. The more they wanted to taste it, the more they wanted to put it in their mouth. And then once they took a bite, that's when sin was fully conceived. See, that's how temptation works. Temptation in and of itself is not sin. It's what entices you to sin. And so if you already know what your weakness is, avoid the weakness. Let's just be practical here. If you have a problem with donuts, if your issue is with those small, round, sugary dough balls of goodness, Dunkin' Donuts is not the place for you to hang out. I remember years ago, these guys were telling me about this ministry they were getting involved in that they were super excited about. And this ministry was to go, was to go into strip clubs and tell the strippers how much Jesus loved them. And I thought, man, that's a great heart and a great mission, but I'm just not sure you're the one that needs to be doing it. <laughs> I mean, could you imagine today if I was like, guys, we've got a mission. We are going to bombard the gates of those strip clubs and we're going to take back what the devil has stolen. We're going to tell these women how much God loves them. I, there would be a line from here to Highway 41 of men saying, the Lord hath need of me. Wherever you lead me, God, I will, I will go. Like you've never served in church before, but now you're drawn to this ministry. It's a great, they had a great mission. It was a great heart. I'm just not sure they were the right people for it. The point is, like, if something tempts you, one of the strategies we have is to just simply avoid it, to stay away from it. If you're in a dating relationship and you're trying to stay pure, there are certain boundaries you're going to have to set for your life. If you're in a marriage and you're wanting to keep that marriage together and you're wanting to be honorable in that marriage there are certain boundaries that you have to set if you have an issue with gossiping hello see when we talk about temptation and sin you, we always want to like label it this but some of y'all got a problem with your mouth and that's equally as bad if you've got a problem with gossip there are going to have to be some boundaries that you set there are certain people and places and situations that you just cannot allow yourself to get into because when you get into it, that's when your weakness is exposed and that's when you start looking at the things that you should not be looking at. We have to learn how to avoid these situations and these people by having healthy boundaries. Samson had incredible strength, but he also had incredible weakness at the same time. And the one he allowed to lead him gave him the results he got. See, we all have great potential, but we all have weakness. And our results will be determined by what we allow to lead us. He should have leaned into the riddle of the lion. He should have seen, okay, I've got a problem here with women. 
They've got a power over me that I cannot control, and so I need to avoid wrong relationships and make sure I'm surrounding myself with right relationships. People who are not interested in exposing my weakness, but people who are interested in propelling my strength. This is a side note, and we'll talk about this probably next week, but if you are hanging around someone who strengthens your weakness, they're not a friend, they are an enemy. I wanna say that again, if you are hanging with someone who encourages your weakness or strengthens your weakness, they're not a friend, they are an enemy, and that is someone that you need to cut off from your life. You can love them and you can be kind to them, but you cannot give them room in your life because they're taking you down a path that could lead in devastation. Avoid Delilah, but that's not enough. Turn to the person next to you, it's not enough. It's not enough to just avoid Delilah because avoiding Delilah does not change the root cause of why you want Delilah. So, I mean, I can stay away from donut shops for the rest of my life, but still have a desire for donuts. So there's got to be more to this process of dealing with the Delilahs in my life. I can't just avoid and I can't just run for the rest of my life. I've got to learn how to cut Delilah out of my life. And so the second thing I want to give you this, is this, get a better vision for your life. Turn to the person next to you and say, get a better vision for your life. Proverbs 19.18 says, where there is no prophetic vision, that means where there is no God-centered vision, the people cast off restraint. Which means if we do not have proper vision for our life, we just wander around aimlessly. Now, many times when we talk about vision, we think about setting goals. But vision is more than just setting goals and seeing the future. Vision is seeing who you are, who it is that God has created you to be. And if you do not have a good vision for who you are, you will accept anything that comes your way. I want to say that again. If you do not have a good vision for who you are, then you'll accept anything that comes your way. But if you can understand your value and who God has created you to be, then everything changes. See, when Satan comes to Adam and Eve in the garden, he starts talking to them about the fruit. He says, God doesn't want you to eat this because he knows that it will make you like him. Here's the problem with that deception. They were already created in the image and the likeness of God. They were already like God, but Satan started making them think there's something better for you than God has made available. And so because of that, they were tempted to go in the wrong direction and ultimately did. But if you know the truth, the Bible says the truth does what? It sets you free. So if I have a proper vision for my life and who I am, then I can walk in freedom apart from deception. Really, sin is this. It's trying to fulfill a legitimate need in your life in an illegitimate way. It's trying to fulfill a legitimate need. There are things as human beings that we need in our life. There are things that are healthy for us to have in our life. The problem is when we start trying to fulfill those needs in an illegitimate way, that's when we mess up. That's when we go into the wrong direction. Many of the things that we get caught up in, hear what I'm saying, because this goes back to having a proper vision for your life. Many of the things we get caught up in is because we don't feel good about who we are. So what we need is people and things to try to add value 
to our life. But when we get a vision of who God says that I am, I don't need those things because I am fulfilled within him. Within him. So it doesn't matter if you don't love me, I know I'm loved. It doesn't matter if you do not accept me, I know that I belong. I understand my value. Vision produces value, and proper value will produce proper values in your life. There are things that you will not walk into because you understand the value that God has placed on you. You know that you're better than that. You know that you're better than being in a relationship where you're being used by others. You know that you're better than walking into a situation that leads to destruction. You have value because you have vision. You've got to get a better understanding of who you are in Christ and what he has made available to you. The third thing is this. You've got to know the word. Turn to the person next to you and say, you've got to know the word. This is something that we at Activation Church stress over and over and over again. You have to know the word of God and you have to begin to apply what you know because if you do not apply it then it becomes useless to you faith without works is what dead David says God I've hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you why because your word is a lamp to my feet a light to my path it is leading me into the path of everlasting Life, And if I will stay in that path, in that vein, then I'm only going to step into good things because God's never going to lead us into harm. He's always going to lead us into what is best for our life. The Bible says in Hebrews 4, verse 12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow and Get this part, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Bible is the only book that will read you while you are reading it. The Bible is the only book that will reveal things to you about you that you may not even be aware of. So you think that you're going after this temptation because that's what you desire, not realizing there's something broken inside of you. But the word of God can reveal to me that there's something broken inside of me. And the word of God can reveal to me that Jesus takes broken things and puts them back together. And so now, if I am healed of my brokenness, I no longer desire the counterfeit that I'm going after. See, his word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. It is. It is. He will show me what to do. There's two things you need to know about the Word, and there's many, many more things that are powerful about the Word, but one thing is it will reveal. It will reveal. It will show me things that I need to see. But secondly, it will renew. It will renew, which means it will change the way you think. The more you get into the Word of God and you start seeing the plan of God for your life, the more your desires will begin to shift and change. I promise you, there will be things that you used to desire that you no longer desire anymore because God has renewed your mind. He's changed the way you think. Has anybody witnessed that in their own personal life? There are things you used to go after. There are things you used to desire. There are things that you used to go to to fulfill your needs. But now that you've got a clear picture of the word and who he is and what he's accomplished for you, you don't desire that because you know there's something better. 
Adam and Eve would have never desired the fruit if they would have understood that God had already given them what was best. Samson would have never gone into Delilah's home if he would have truly understood who God was and what he was wanting to do and leaned on his word. See, Samson, here's the thing you got to get. Samson had faith in God's word. Samson knew, okay, I'm called to destroy the Philistines. If I shake myself, the spirit comes on me, and I'll be able to destroy the enemy. He had faith in that word. But Samson was not faithful to the word. He was not faithful to the word. If he would have been faithful to the word, he would have never been in a relationship with Delilah. He would have never been in a relationship with the girl that stole the riddle. Why? Because God said, don't marry foreign people. And he's not talking about a race. He's not talking about this race should not marry this race. He's saying, y'all are serving two different gods. Y'all are going in two different directions. You don't need to join your life to that. The Bible talks about not being unequally yoked. Like if you're in a relationship, you need to make sure that you're heading in the right direction in the same direction together because if not, you're always going to be warring against each other and fighting against each other. And then once you have children, it's going to be even worse. I promise you it will be even worse once you have children because this person will want to take their kids in this direction. This person will want to take their kids in this direction. This person will want their children to be involved in church. This person will want their children to be involved in travel baseball. And you may like make it work, but is it really what's best for your family so we got to know the word and we got to faithfully follow the word the final thing I'll give you is this you've got to be filled with the spirit this is ultimate you have to be filled with the spirit you do not have the power on your own Samson did not have the strength to take out the Philistines on the on his own His strength came from the Lord. His strength came from the Spirit of the Lord. And so when he would shake himself, the Holy Spirit would show up, and then he would move in great strength and power. As soon as the Spirit was gone, he'd shake himself, nothing happened. The things that you are trying to fight against in your life, you do not have the power over them on your own. But when you partner with the Spirit, He gives you the ability that you do not have. He alone can renew your mind. He alone can strengthen you. He alone can comfort you. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the helper. You know why? Because He actually wants to help you. Did you know that? God actually wants to help you. He wants to take you beyond your natural limitations and bring you into this supernatural way of living that will bring you into victory. And you can't do it on your own. It only happens by surrendering your life to the Spirit of God. The power over sin is not your willpower. The power over sin is not your personal self-discipline. The power over sin and the power over temptation is the power of God that resides in you. He gives you the strength. He gives you the self-control. He gives you the patience. He gives you the peace. He gives you the joy. He is the source of it. You have to have him in your life. Samson knew how to shake himself for the enemy that surrounded him. But he didn't know how to shake himself for the war that was waging inside of him. He knew how to lean on God for 
the enemy out there. But the enemy in here, he thought, I'll fight this one on my own. I'll, I'll deal with this on my own. Maybe it's because of shame. Maybe, maybe he was ashamed of the fact that he's supposed to be this great judge in Israel, but he's got this desire for women that he can't control. And so he thinks, you know what? God can use me here, but I need to deal with this here. Maybe it was guilt of something. Whatever it is that keeps us from going to God with our weakness. Not understanding that God wants you to bring your weakness and your needs and your desires to him because he wants to help you along the way. He wants to partner with you. He wants to bring you into being the person he has called you to be. Every person in here was designed by God to live a victorious life. But you can't do it on your own. You have to get to the point where you understand, I have weakness and I have failure. And in my weakness and my failure, I don't have to run from God. That's when I need to run to God. I need to lean on him. He is the source of strength. And it's not by might, not by power, but by his spirit. If you want to see great things happen in your life, start leaning on the spirit. Stop focusing on the sin and start focusing on the Savior. We're probably going to talk about that in week three. The problem with holiness and the truth about transformation. The reason so many of us never experience transformation is because we're staring at the wrong thing. We're so, we're so fixated on our weakness and our problems and our struggles that we never realize if we'll just rest in him, he'll move us away from that. I don't have to beat myself up every time I mess up. All I got to do is come to God and say, God, I have messed up. I have sin in my life. Forgive me of that sin. He not only removes that sin, but now he starts to help me walk through my weakness. And my weakness, his strength is made perfect. He can shift my desires. He can change my mind. He can give me everything that I need, but I have to make it available to him. That's why when I talk about being filled with the Spirit, I'm talking about being consumed by the Spirit of God in such a way that everything is filtered through him. And we have that opportunity to live that way every day. See, we have an advantage that Samson didn't have because Samson was alive before the time of Christ, which means the Holy Spirit only showed up at certain times for certain people in certain situations. He would show up and give them the help they needed in the moment, and as soon as the task was accomplished, the Holy Spirit would withdraw. But now because of Jesus, the Spirit of God comes upon us and remains with us. If you've received Jesus Christ into your life, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, lives inside of you. But the only way he is going to consume you is by you yielding to him and saying, Spirit of God, today fill me. Every part of me. Fill my mind, fill my heart, fill my thoughts, fill my words consume me from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. I want to be led by you. I want to be filled with you. And this has to be a desire and a hunger and not just some words you say with your mouth. You have to desire him. 
the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He will never force himself upon you. He will only operate within the realm that you make available to him. Did you hear what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit will only operate within the realm you make available to him. The Holy Spirit was able to help Samson fight the Philistines because he would shake himself in that moment. But when it came to his own weakness, he would not shake himself. How do we, how do we stir up the Spirit in our life? Through communion with him. He, he wants to empower you. He wants to give gifts to you to help you in this life. Did you know that? He wants to give you supernatural knowledge, supernatural wisdom. He wants to give you supernatural faith. There are all these gifts that the Holy Spirit wants to deposit in your life, and he wants to use them in your life, but it will never happen as long as you resist them. If you're watching online today, I invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to come into your life and to fill you, to say, Jesus, baptize me today, which means to immerse me today with your Holy Spirit. Allow him to have complete and total control of your life. Father, help them and strengthen them and bless them. Father, meet them at the point of their need today in Jesus' name. Amen.